you are worthy of our praise, of our worship. You are the one who sent your son to live a life we couldn't live, to die a death we deserve to die, to be raised so we could have eternal life. God, you are worthy of it all. Father, right now our hearts are humbled before you as we recognize the price that was paid so we could live free, that we could be saved from our sins and from your wrath. Father, you're worthy of it all. So, Father, I just pray your spirit would now move in through your word for your glory. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Welcome. We're going to be in Luke 22. If you had a funnel, all of redemptive history would pour into a moment in time 2,000 years ago. It was the moment that Jesus, God's Messiah, came into the world to save people, to save us from our sins, something we couldn't do in our own. What happened two years ago was a fulfillment of all God's word had foretold. Jesus, God's spotless lamb, would lay down his life as an atoning sacrifice. Good Friday is a time to look back, to look back at the Passover, to understand its implications. But it's also time to reflect on the Lord's Supper, which we'll be taking in a few minutes. But it's also a time to look forward to the return of Christ because he's coming again. So let's look back to the Passover. The Passover, first of all, was a time to remember. I'm going to read from Psalm, or excuse me, Luke chapter 22, starting in verse 7. Then came the day of the unleavened bread on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. This would be Jesus' final Passover meal. So Jesus sent Peter and John saying, go and prepare the Passover for us that we may eat it. They said to him, where will you have us prepare it? He said to them, behold, you have entered, behold, when you have entered the city, a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him into the house that he enters, and all the master of that, and tell the master of the house. The teacher says to you, Where is the guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? And he will show you a large upper room furnished. Prepare it there. And they went and found it just as he had told them, and they prepared the Passover. Part of preparing that Passover would have been slaughtering the lamb, the spotless lamb, and then roasting it. So what is the Passover? Well, the Passover is a reminder of Israel's deliverance out of Egypt, 400 years in bondage. It was Moses who had been in the wilderness up in uh, Midian for about 40 years when he came upon the Lord at a burning bush. And the Lord told him to go 
and deliver his people, Israel, out of Egypt. And so we went. Nine plagues, each time telling Pharaoh to let God's people go. And Pharaoh continued to harden his heart. And finally, on the tenth plague, God had said that a a death angel would fly over Egypt and kill all the firstborn sons. But for those that were in Goshen, for the Israelites that were in Goshen, if they took a spotted, if they took a spotless lamb and they shed its blood and put it on the doorposts and the lentils of their house, when that death angel came over the house, it would fly over the homes that were under the blood. That was the Passover, the first Passover. Once that happened, the death angel came, Israel was now delivered out of bondage and now was on their first exodus away from bondage. But in God's word, they were told that they need to remember the Passover. They were given instructions on how to observe the Passover, to remember their bitterness, the bitterness of slavery, and how God had freed them. They had to learn that the blood of the lamb had distinguished them from the rest of the nations. So observing the Passover was a sign of faith in God and of his saving work. So Passover was a time to teach the families of God's great redemptive act, that he is the deliverer. And so throughout the Old Testament, there's this looking back to remember God's deliverance. But there were also prophecies of a Messiah to come who would provide a greater deliverance, a greater, in effect, Passover. So the Passover was a time to look back, to remember. But secondly, the Passover was a time to look forward. It's time to look forward to a greater exodus, to a greater sacrifice, to a suffering servant who would take the wrath that we deserved. We saw that in Isaiah 53. 700 years before Jesus was incarnated, the prophet told of a suffering servant. Jesus knew why he came to earth. He was born to die. He was born to take this, to, to take the wrath for our sins. So it was on the night of the Passover 2,000 years ago, 1,500 years in front of the first Passover, that Jesus commemorated the Passover feast. It was the last time he would do this, but it was also the time in which he instituted the Lord's Supper. We see that in verse 15, or excuse me, verse 14 of chapter 22. It says, and when the hour came, he, being Jesus, reclined at the table and the apostles with him. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. Jesus knew what he was heading to. He knew this was God's plan. He says, for I tell you, I will not eat of it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he said, take this and divide it among yourselves. For I tell you that from now on, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. He was telling them that my sacrifice is going to be for you. I'm going to be your substitute. And likewise, verse 20, 
the cup after they had eaten, saying, this cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. Jesus was telling them to look forward to what he was doing. Within hours, he would be arrested, betrayed by a friend. He would be beaten, illegally tried, scourged, and crucified. Jesus knew that he was God's Passover lamb. He was the one that had been prefigured 1,500 years before. In God's perfect will, he would die a sacrificial death. Verse 21, he says, But behold, the hand of, the hand of him who betrays me is with me on the table. He was sitting next to his betrayer. He knew it. For the Son of Man goes at it, as it has been determined. It was God's will but woe to the man by whom he is betrayed. And they, the apostles, began to question one another which of them it could be who was going to do this. It's been an amazing moment there. Jesus' death on the cross would be the fulfillment of all that had been foreshadowed by the Passover lamb. Jesus' sacrifice on the cross fulfilled with the shed blood of the sacrificial lamb during the Passover had foreshadowed that for those who place their faith and trust in the shed blood of Jesus and his resurrection would be saved. They would now be under the blood of the new covenant and protected from God's wrath. If you're in Christ, you're now protected from God's wrath because you've put your faith in the shed blood and the resurrection of Jesus. So the Lord's Supper instituted on that night would look forward to a greater act of redemption, a sacrifice, once and for all. The last Passover meal preceded a new exodus out of sin and shame. Whereas the first Passover meal had preceded the exodus out of bondage from Egypt. So the last Passover meal, it points us to the Lord's Supper. So we move from the Passover to the Lord's Supper. The Lord's Supper is a time to remember as we get ready to take the Lord's Supper. Jesus wanted us to take this. It's, it's, it was one of his ordinances so we would remember what he has done for us because we could forget. Some of us don't even remember what we had for lunch today. We could forget. So he wanted us to remember, to look back sacrifice it's a time to be reminded of the cross I want to just talk about a couple implications of the cross what does the cross remind us of the cross first of all is a place of justice Jesus was going to the cross God is a God God is a just God he's a holy God because of that he must punish sin Sin must be dealt with, and we've all, we've all sinned. The Bible tells us that we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Romans 6, 23 tells us the wages of sin is what? Death. We are all facing death because of our sin, because of God's justice, his perfect justice. So the justice of God requires a penalty to be paid for our sins. 
Well, in the Old Testament, animals were sacrificed as a substitute so their blood would atone for the sins of the people. But because they continued to sin, there would be continual sacrifices. But Jesus died on the cross once and for all that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. So the cross is a place where justice is served. Secondly, the cross is a place of love. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever should believe in him should not perish but have eternal life. This is a passage that reminds us cross is a place where the greatest act of love was ever exhibited. Peter confirms this in 1 Peter chapter 3. Let me put that up for you. For Christ also suffered for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous. He being righteous for us who are unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. We're reminded of that in 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 5.21, which says, He who knew no sin became sin for us, that we might receive the righteousness of God. Because of God's love, we don't receive God's wrath. But for in Christ, we receive his mercy and his grace. See, the cross is a place of justice. It's a place of love. Third, it's a place of grace and mercy. See, the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ. It's a reminder, God doesn't need to save anyone. He has no obligation to to save anyone. God's work on the cross, Jesus' death on the cross is an act of mercy. It's an act of grace. Mercy is not receiving what we deserve. Grace is receiving what we don't deserve. We deserve death. We receive a pardon. That's mercy. We don't deserve eternal life, but it's been given to us through his son. God in perfect justice could have left us in our sins, awaiting judgment. Without the atoning work of Jesus on the cross, our only hope for salvation is your ability to keep the law perfectly. That's a scary place to be. How many of you would like your salvation to be dependent upon your ability to keep the law? None of us, certainly. The cross is a place of justice. It's a place of love. It's a place of grace and mercy. But don't miss this. It also was a place of suffering. Christ was without sin, yet he suffered in our place. Isaiah 53.10 says, it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He suffered physically the most excruciating forms of death. It was a death, in fact, Christian read from Psalm 22, written a thousand years before Christ's death on the cross, hundreds of years before the Persians even invented crucifixion, which was ultimately perfected by the Romans. He suffered physically, but he also suffered the pain of bearing our guilt. He suffered the pain of abandonment. He bore bore that pain for you and me. But finally, the cross is a place of satisfaction. Because of Jesus' suffering on the 
cross. And because of the penalty for our sin has been atoned for, God is satisfied with that death. We don't have to suffer eternally. When Jesus cried, it is finished, he was saying that he had satisfied God's requirement for justice. That's why Romans 8.1 says, there is therefore now no condemnation to those that are in Christ Jesus. So when we take the Lord's Supper, we remember what Jesus did for us. He became a sin offering. He died a substitutionary death in our place. I wrote that down. God helps to never forget that. Help us to always look back and remember. But not only is the Lord's Supper a place to look back, but it's also a place to look forward. The Lord's Supper is a time to look forward. Paul reminds us in 1 Corinthians eleven twenty six. 26, he says, For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And we know that the Lord is coming again. In fact, we saw it back in, in, in Luke chapter 22, where he says in verse uh, 16, he says, For I tell you, I will not eat it again, eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Jesus was pointing them forward. He says it again in verse 18. For I tell you that from now on, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. Jesus is reminding us of what he's done, but he's telling us that he's coming again. That truth should change how we live, that we would live in view of the coming of Jesus. We know he's coming not as a suffering servant, but as a conquering king. And knowing that he's coming again helps us to endure difficult days. Knowing he's coming again, we can look forward in hope. 